Hi, you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Great to be here. Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction News Roundup. All things impacting global supply chains this week. It's great to be here. So let's get started. Well, lots of things happening. We've still got inflation. We've got another new prime minister in the United Kingdom. How many can you have in a year? Well, we've had three in three months. We've got big ships in Boston. We've got driverless cars in Tokyo. We've got Putin pushing us to the green economy faster. Liquefied natural gas prices going down. We've got Europe's gas problem on the agenda again. few things to say about that. And lots of other things. And we've got, well, just lots of other interesting things popping up on the, on the news roundup. So let's get to it. Let's find out more. Stick around. third Prime Minister in as many months, three, with Rishi Sunak, the first British Asian Prime Minister. So congratulations to him on his new role and I hope he untangles the UK economy. Seems that the markets are impressed so far. The interest rates on government borrowing have fallen and there's some stability in the economy in a very short period of time. So the markets seem to like What's happening? We still have inflation, of course, and this week food products and food inflation in the United Kingdom. So things like bread, breakfast cereals, and of course cooking oils, all gone up in price. And I noticed Unilever were raising the prices yet again. So stick around and find out more. Well, I've been talking about rail strikes in the United Kingdom for the past few weeks, and they're still on. We've still got rail strikes that could happen at any time. And we've still got Royal Mail strikes, and there are dock strikes, and they're still ongoing. None of those have been settled. But it's also now possible there could be a rail strike in the United States. Union Pacific CEO says it's possible, but not probable. There's a deadline of November the 19th, and it could still be avoided. Well, let's hope so. Japan will allow the deployment of autonomous vehicles on public roads in 40 areas from April the 23rd. And that means we could have robo-taxis, driverless buses and robotic delivery services. The plans were revealed this week. The National Policing Agency in Japan is seeking to lift a ban on so-called Level 4 self-driving vehicles. Those are vehicles operating without a physical human driver. So, interesting development. I'd like to thank George A. Calvo, who is Deputy Dean of Globus Management School in Tokyo, for alerting me to this piece of information. I noticed that Tesco's were advertising this week in the United Kingdom for applications to the Retail Graduate Programme. 
Now, anybody that's interested in applying to that program, I'll put uh, a link in the show notes so that you can get the details. It's a two-year program, and Tesco say it will help gain a breadth of valuable retail experience and support you to build vital management skills to help lead and develop your team. And you'll have the opportunity to work in different store formats as well as at distribution centers or customer fulfillment centers, plus work on a head office project. So it sounds great, doesn't it? Good experience, good all-round experience. So it's worth looking at if you're interested in making a career, and particularly if you're interested in retailing and supply chains or customer service. And what's not to like about that? You'll be working in different parts of the business to serve customers, communities, and remember to help the planet. Every little helps. Now, I just want to let you know that the Association for Supply Chain Managers has an interesting forthcoming event. It's only for members, but if you are a member, then it might be worth taking a look if you haven't already. It's a panellist session where they're going to describe what they call exciting recent updates, explaining how SCORE, that's the metrics model, that they have leads to better integration, heightened efficiency, the attainment of sustainability goals, and exceptional economic performance. Well, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? And if you're interested in sustainability and resilience, then you might want to get along to that one. The speakers on the event are Peter Bolstorff. He's the Executive Vice President of Growth and Intelligence at the Association of Supply Chain Management. Eamon Assad who is also Vice President of Supply Chain Education, Director at Pass Consulting, Grant Swanepoel, Regional Lead on Global Channels and Alliance Middle East and Africa for the Association of Supply Chain Management, and Douglas Kent, Executive Vice President, B2B Sales and Partner Management at the Association of Supply Chain Managers, and Nisha Shah, Solutions Architect for Corporate Transformation at ACS, ASCM. So, sounds a good event. I'll put a link to the event in the show notes. And if you're interested, again, you might want to get along to that one. Now, we know what a devil disruption is. And I came across a piece this week that uh, Kaiser Aluminium is working to stabilize production because it has magnesium and molten metal constraints, which are contributing to a $24 million cost hit. In the third quarter, the president and chief executive officer, Keith Harvey, reported this when he reported earnings this week. The aluminium producer has secured alternative suppliers of magnesium and molten metal, allowing it to reopen a rolling mill plant in Warwick County, Indiana. So it's expecting to get back to more normal production levels. But it's a real problem when that sort of thing happens and you're put under that kind of pressure. shows how important it is to keep shopping around, looking to spread the risk by having alternative sources of supply. But you're limited when it's um, rare metals such as magnesium and aluminium. It's uh, difficult. So we wish them luck. The Swedish steel company, SSAB, plans to shut down a blast furnace at Finnish plant RA from mid-November 22 for maintenance. The decision taken to cut production in the fourth quarter was made because 
of a slowdown in steel demand in Europe. The blast furnace has a capacity of 1.3 million tonnes of pig iron per year, and it's planned to be stopped for about six to eight weeks. In the third quarter, steel production at SSAB Enterprises in Europe amounted to 1 million tonnes, which is in line with the figure for the third quarter in the previous year, 2021. Production for the nine-month period of 2022 in the company's European plants dropped by just under 12% year-on-year. European steelmakers are experiencing difficult times. Obviously, steel uses a lot of energy, and the energy costs are ramping up, and so that's been difficult. When you've got to have temperatures of over a 1,000 degrees to produce a product, that takes a lot of energy. Many steel plants have shut down briefly because of having too much capacity given the current levels of demand. Apparently, according to Fast Markets estimates, about 14 or 15 million tonnes of annual capacity in Europe has been temporarily closed down. Now, there was an interesting piece this week about uh, Costco shipping and the largest ship to enter a Boston port, largest container ship. Lauren Gleason, who's the chief administrative officer at Maritime Massachusetts Port Authority, said it's the largest vessel to ever call at the port of Boston. It's 13,500 TEUs, and the vessel is Costco Shipping Rose. So it's a piece saying that Boston's really an open for business for those big container ships. But they're not the biggest in the world because the super containers, the super class, is about 23,000 TEUs. But they're still pretty big at 13,500 TEUs, especially if you get alongside them and you take a look at them and what they hold. But they're open for business and to help out northeast of the United States. So, good news for the Port of Boston. Now, I read some interesting comments from David Schlingford. He's the Chief Strategy Officer at Everstream Analytics. And he was talking about the European gas problem. It's something I've talked about constantly on the Chain Reaction podcast. And he highlighted seven factors to consider about contingency planning for your supply chain when you're dealing with Europe and European suppliers. He says that the weather is number one. It's an overriding variable. Obviously, if it's colder than normal, then that's likely to demand more energy. And if they haven't got that energy, then uh, that could possibly disrupt supplies. He talks about network exposure, not just European com- companies that need to play that need to pay attention to those factors and to forecast, but any company reliant on inputs from Europe, and that includes sub-tier suppliers. And I think that's a good point. Sub-tier suppliers, not just your main suppliers. So it could be elsewhere. And he highlights the issue of having multi-tier supplier visibility. Industries at higher risk are those high energy industries, the ones that consume lots of energy. And there's also the issue of storage capacity, which I've mentioned ad infinitum on the Chain Reaction podcast that uh, he says Europe has limited storage capacity. European storage capacity is not as limited as, of course, the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom has very limited storage capacity presently, and it's something they really need to ramp up, and that's a challenge for the United Kingdom government to put right. The market forces in natural gas, he mentions, and of course, that is important because 
This liquefied natural gas is bought on the open market and there are other customers apart from Europe. And so if Europe's demanding more, that's going to push prices up for everybody. He talks about the different government policies and, of course, the consumer behaviours. But here's a piece of good news. Right now, at this point in time, as this is going out, this episode, gas prices have started to fall. Well, Elon Musk finally takes over Twitter, gets rid of the chief executive and some of the senior management team in Twitter. Says he wants to change the business, change it round, develop some new ideas. So we wait in wonder for that. Twitter's been a fairly flat business for the past few years. It hasn't really innovated anything new. But the idea now is to uh, create a platform similar to WeChat, which has been quite successful in handling all kinds of different audiences with different tools to access markets and so on. I expect we'll see a much more commercial aspect to Twitter. said he wants open conversation on the platform, even talk that Donald Trump, ex-president of the United States, may come back to the platform, or at least be allowed to come back to the platform. Whether he'll want to or not is another matter. Apparently Donald Trump said he, he doesn't really intend to uh, reopen his account, but we'll see. Now, for years, California's air quality has been the subject of scrutiny. The air quality regulator is poised at this point in time to adopt a zero-emission truck mandate. But many believe this downplays the concern over electric vehicle infrastructure, and it might do away with lots of jobs. The California Resource Board will hold the first of two hearings on the nation's first zero-emission mandate for trucking fleets next week, Thursday. But there are many concerns that the trucking industry has raised for many, many years, and they feel that those are being ignored. In some respects, these carb regulating the trucking industry isn't anything new. Back in 2008, California truckers took part in initiatives to improve air quality and about $1 billion a year was paid out to upgrade equipment to cleaner technology to comply with the country's strictest environmental regulations. So they bought new engines, installed filters, they've eliminated diesel soot, reduced smog-forming emissions by more than 90%. While those efforts have been made by the trucking industry to transition to zero-emission fleets, They feel let down by the technology and infrastructure to support that transition. There are fewer than 500 zero-emission commercial trucks on the road, according to California's Energy Commission, and fewer fewer than 90 of those are electric semi-trucks, which are the workhorses of the American economy. So while the goals are high, the support to get there is low, and many feel it's unrealistic. For private cars, there's been a lot more time to prepare for the zero-emission economy and a lot more by way of subsidy. So what next? 
for the zero climate targets. And are the trucking industry going to be supported in California? Well, seems like they need to be. Now, Bloomberg's reported this week that Apple says it's accelerating plans to address greenhouse gas emissions across the company's global supply chain, and it wants to decarbonise by 2030. says it's determined to lower the carbon emissions, CEO Tim Cook said on Tuesday. The company is urging suppliers to take faster action to achieve carbon neutrality for their Apple-related corporate operations. Suppliers are also being encouraged to address the greenhouse gas emissions beyond their Apple production, and they want clean energy. They want them to use clean energy. Apple plans to donate resources for free public training for businesses across many industries to speed this transition using 100% clean energy and carbon neutrality. The company will also facilitate the construction of large solar and wind projects in Europe with projects ranging between 30 and 300 megawatts. Apple's supply chain, of course, is relatively small in comparison to many supply chains with only hundreds of suppliers. This decarbonisation effort will have a big impact, says Julie Gerdman, CEO of Everstream Analytics. Consumers will expect other big tech brands to pledge similar commitments. And it's also hoped that peer pressure will come into play. Apple's focused on what we call Scope 3 emissions, stemming from the company's supply chain. Scope 3 makes up at least 80% of emissions for a company, according to Gerdeman, and only 9% of companies worldwide are really tracking Scope 3 emissions, while more than 90% have defined targets. Many companies, of course, have thousands or tens of thousands of suppliers, and they'll need automation to monitor their supply chains and to audit them and to measure the decarbonisation that's achieved. It's more difficult in those more complex areas. Compliance is a big issue. The cost of decarbonisation in ocean shipping is on another scale. For example, in container shipping, companies will need to spend one and a half trillion US dollars over the next three decades to meet green targets. That's according to Willie Shire, a professor at Harvard Business School. There are, of course, increasing consumer and investor demands for low-carbon products and for low-carbon supply chains so that the supply chains are sustainable. And those things are moving right up to the top of the corporate agenda. Profitability and sustainability need to be designed in to decarbonise the supply chain. And there's a need to get rid of carbon-intensive raw materials with more sustainable options. This might mean product adaptation, more flexible approaches to the construction of materials and combinations of materials, and it will also demand cleaner energy, which we've discussed. And all this has to be driven by a change of culture. So we have to change people's minds. I think people's hearts are already there, but we have to change the mind. And that means that there have to be rational arguments for those changes to be made. But I think the rational arguments are fairly clear when we examine the evidence critically in relation to climate change and the impact that that's having around the globe.
Now, the owner of British Gas, Centrica, has reopened a giant gas storage facility to boost the UK's supply during the winter. This would allow for cheaper gas to be stored for the colder months and it would help reduce or stabilise the cost of gas for households and businesses. This move comes after the UK's energy regulator said that homes could face power cuts of up to three hours if gas supplies ran low. The facility that Centrica has is at a place called Rough, and they say it's not a silver bullet for energy security, but it's a key part of a range of steps that they want to take to help UK gas supplies this winter. It's the war in Ukraine, of course, that's prompted all the fears and Putin's big push to take over parts of Ukraine has squeezed European gas supplies. And although the UK only gets about 4%, or did do, of its gas supply from Russia, it drives up the price of that gas because everybody has a higher demand. If you've got a higher supply coming from Russia and your gas supply is cut off, you're going to buy supplies from the rest of the world, which means that the price of energy goes up, and that means that that price goes up for everybody. Ofgem, which is the energy regulator in the United Kingdom, has said that the UK could find itself in a gas supply emergency, but uh, I think that's probably less likely, given the measures and the steps being taken. The European Union, of course, has bought lots of gas during the summer period and filled its capacity, its storage capacity, to around 95% for the winter months. And that gives them a lot of gas supply. The UK only has about nine days' worth of storage. It's in the worst position in Europe. Germany has 90 days almost of gas storage. France, about 103. The Netherlands, also about 103. And the United Kingdom is the poor relation. Gas-fired power stations in the UK only generate between 40 and 60% of the UK's electricity. When I say only, I mean it's large but there are other sources of supply for energy. And, of course, Putin's war will only increase the move away from gas to other forms of energy. And those are the forms of energy not only cleaner, greener, but the cheaper. So it's a no-brainer. Let's get to the future fast. Ah, well, there's the title of a, an episode on the Chain Reaction podcast that's coming up soon. And you might want to drop by and listen to that. It's not just about energy. It's about getting to the future first, for all sorts of reasons. There's an expectation that the Bank of England is about to put interest rates up to 3% in the next week. And that'll be 75 basis points to lift it to that new figure of 3%. Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee meets next Thursday. Some think they might go higher. There's a lot of pressure on the bank, of course, to manage inflation. And that's their overall job. And that's why the trust government was so unpopular, because they had a fiscal policy that was working against that particular target. It was in complete opposition to it. And that's why the markets punished the UK and, of course, ousted the Prime Minister. So we'll have to see what happens next week. Europe, of course, is experiencing a warm spell at the moment 
and uh, long may it continue. Keep those uh, gas prices away, keep those energy companies lean on profit and stay warm. Macroeconomic factors and a downturn in demand have impacted Amazon's profits and the share price fell by about 8.2% on Friday. It's likely that this downturn could continue with the high dollar and falling demand for some of Amazon's retail goods. Big tech generally is not having a good time presently, and the only company still doing reasonably well is Apple. That's holding up. The metaverse is down, and of course, Twitter's been taken over, and other big tech stocks are in this recessionary phase. Amazon's holiday forecast sales came in below Wall Street's estimates. And that's what's damaged the stock. Amazon's market cap fell below $1 trillion briefly on the news, but recovered soon after. Meta shares dropped by 25% at one point at a low point, but they bounced back on Friday. So these tech stocks generally having a bad time. Microsoft too and Alphabet also suffered during this week. Unilever has said that its volumes were 1.6% lower over the last three months. And they've raised prices by a record 12.5% in the third quarter of the year. This is the highest price increase ever. And it's passing on the impact of inflation to shoppers. I'm guessing what will happen here, that there'll be a fall off in demand for some of Unilever's big product names, big brand names. As people move to cheaper alternatives, there'll be substitution that takes place in the market. And I really hope that that happens because this is just profiteering when you're moving prices at that level. The firm makes Magnum ice cream, personal detergent and Marmite amongst others. And it's worried about its volume growth. Well, it'll be even more worried about volume growth, I think, if people move to other products. It's not just Unilever, some of the other big brands, Dettol, Reckitt, Benkiser, have all pushed prices up in response to falling sales volumes. They're trying to maintain profit through price rather than trying to get the volumes back to where they were. They might find that actually keeping prices a bit lower would keep those volumes higher and that might benefit them in the longer term. But they've jumped to a solution which is to raise prices and squeeze the consumer. Unilever's volumes were 1.6% lower in the three months to September. Turnover increased by 17.8% to 15.8 billion euros. That's about 13.7 billion pounds. And it was helped by favourable currency exchanges. Underlying growth for prices. Unilever said it's all about cost pressures, which are set to carry forward into next year with higher raw material costs and higher costs from suppliers due to energy and labour inflation. Well, I think they are under cost pressures, but I think if we look at 12.5%, that's probably just a bit too much. So, watch this space. What will the consumers do next? Well, I think I know. Well, this week... I had an episode called Retail Detail, and you might want to get across to that uh, particular episode and have a listen. 
And I talked about one small retailer facing increased costs caused by the pandemic in the main. And obviously retail space is more costly and there's a lot more empty space as well. The vacancy rate in the United Kingdom is about 14% in the third quarter of the year, according to the British Retail Consortium. Shopping centre vacancies were down to just under 19% at 18.8%, just a marginal fall of 0.1% on the previous quarter. Empty shops make up nearly 10% of retail park outlets. London, the South East and East of England had the lowest vacancy rates. The highest rates are in the North East, Wales and the West Midlands. And we're now entering the biggest sales season of the year, coming up to Christmas. But I think it's probably like Helen Dickinson said, demand will be tested by the fragile economy and falling consumer confidence in that lead up to Christmas. Helen Dickinson is the chief executive of the British Retail Consortium. Business rates are still a big cost especially for small businesses, and many of those small businesses may not survive into the new year. By the light, by the light, by the light of the silvery moon. Well, it is Halloween, and of course all the retailers, as I said in retail detail, have been out there getting all the goods into stores in time to create an experience for your Halloween. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you've got children or grandchildren, then they're going to enjoy it too. So stay safe. (laughs) Well, that's it for this week's News Roundup. And I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope you've learned something that you didn't know before you listened. And we've got some great shows coming up in the next few weeks. And I just want to take one moment to tell you about those. We've got a show on plastic pollution, looking at how plastic waste can be handled in city environments. And we'll focus on some research about that. And I have two very special guests coming along on that particular show to tell us about that project. And we also have an episode coming up, which will take a look at the peak sale season as we move towards the Christmas period. What promotions will be hot again? Why companies need intelligence and to adapt less mile strategies? And will omni-channel brands come out on top? Well, all those things will be wrapped up in that special edition with a very special guest joining us from Stored in the United States. Right now, I'm signing off. I'm Tony Hines. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. And I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Chain Reaction Podcast was written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. 
I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains and we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.